you're not going to the fucking White House. <laughs> it's not so MLS. Oh, man, I gotta edit out the beginning now. <laughs> we <laughs> just North started rolling. <laughs> a North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hello. Nick, how are you doing? Oh, you know what? It's just been a time. It's been a soccer time. It's been a lifetime. Uh, not like in terms of length, but just there's just so much going on. And I feel like the soccer world uh, sympathizes. And there's just there's just so much going on. At the beginning of the tournament, I you know, MLS was going in for a break. I didn't really feel that strongly about Gold Cup. Uh, so it, it, it felt like one-to-one. I'll just switch my attention. Um, MLS to MLS to World Cup. Now, MLS is back, and World Cup is still happening, and there are some interesting Gold, Gold Cup things happening, and I'm like, oh my god, there's things every day. Yeah, and it's it's actually getting... Great. It's great, but it is kind of difficult at times to stay on top of things. Like, we just before we start recording... Uh, talking about the MLS All-Star lineup, where I was like, what? What is happening? Did the game already happen? What's what's going on? There's just stuff that slides in under your radar. And we're doing something a little bit different this time that, generally speaking, once MLS is back in action, we forget about everything else and we just go back to MLS. However, with the Women's World Cup, there's just too much to talk about to ignore it. So we're going to do kind of a, a splitsies today. So if you're if you want the MLS content, we'll get there about halfway through. Um, and, and there's still uh, a CONCACAF team in it, we learned today, as uh, as the USA won uh, 2-1 against France in, in what was, a lot of people were saying, the, the hotly anticipated match of the quarterfinals, but I think of the whole, this is, this, I would say that this is my most exciting match of the tournament so far, but no. it was certainly one of the most hyped, and, uh, and I do think that it was entertaining to watch if if a little tense, just because of that, uh, the uh, U.S. scored twice, and then uh, as as we would see in MLS, Wendy Renard scored on the 80th minute, and then all of a sudden you're thinking, "Wow, is there a chance that this could get done?" Um, but no, uh, you instead had but two no. two goals from uh, two goals who from Megan Rapinoe who said gay rights. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that, but she she then uh, she then went into the mix zone and was like, "Go gays!" It was like, "No championship." I'm pretty sure you can't have. Uh, uh, there's no chance that you can win the championship unless you have gay people on your team. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's science. She told <laughs> the, the mix zone, so that's great. Love it, Megan. Megan Rapinoe uh, using the final days of Pride Month to. Uh, to the best of her ability, after what was a, a, a kind of a tumultuous cycle for her, um, after the the magazine post that included the it was like a uh, it was a throw to a magazine article uh, a magazine article that included a video where she said, as as noted earlier, uh, an interviewer asks, "Are you gonna are you excited to go to the White House?" Presumably, if the if the U.S. Women's Team wins. Um, she says, I'm not going to the fucking White House. I love it. <laughs> With this just look of derision. Um, the, then Donald Trump tweeted about it, said, well, you have to, you have to win first. 
but she he tweeted the wrong person. Uh, Megan Rapinoe's Twitter account is M P N I O E, and he tweeted Megan Rapinoe with without an E, just O, who ended up being just like uh like a K-pop stan, like like a fan. Like a right. like a very uh, a very uh, into it fan of the band Red Velvet, who uh, was like, I don't know who this person was, but I definitely agree with her about everything. Um, also, this is the wrong account. You so you're uh, saying the president of the United States misspelled something? Yes. Wow. And, and in doing so, woke up politics Twitter and soccer Twitter and K-pop Twitter. I love it. <laughs> the, uh, the triple threat. The triple threat. We've been um, waiting for it all this time. So a lot of people, uh, this is not the first time this has come up with, with Megan Rapinoe. Uh, we know that she has had, uh, you know, her, the, the video from this tournament of her not singing the national anthem um, and, and her stance of, of in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick kneeling uh, for the national anthem in both the club games and country games. Mm-hmm. Um has brought attention before. Um, so I think that it was something that excited me and a lot of people uh, to see her thrive so well in this game. Even if I personally, I think that one of the things that's so interesting about this is the way that the U.S. women's national team lives kind of in two worlds. Mm. And one of them is like broader American culture in which mm-hmm. like they are the pure baby face. You had, you had U.S. fans marching to the game through the streets of Paris today, chanting "Equal Pay." <laughs> love it. Love I love that. it. Too. I love it too. I mean, as much as um, as fans of the Canadian women's national team, we, we're obligated to hate the U.S. women's national team. In terms of the politics, it's kind of hard to uh, to have too much. <laughs> <laughs> to say bad about it um and especially somebody like Rapinoe has been very outspoken and i also love that they are embracing that platform to i mean not just raise it, the obvious equal pay issue but also highlight things that are important to them and use their cultural uh place as you said off the pitch to their advantage into things that matter to them and um of course, everything is political, and people like to pretend that sports aren't, or and especially soccer. And I would argue they're sometimes more political than politics. And I'm, I'm all about it. I'm here for it. I am here for uh, athletes using their position to state things that often I think are maybe received a little bit better, and and also reaching different audiences as well. That it's easy to be like, well, why do they have to talk about it? Because everybody already knows, but. I think we can see by the amount of conversation it generates that not everybody does know or have an opinion until somebody shoves it in their face. And I'm glad that they're, they're doing that, um, wisely. And I'm glad that they're doing it confidently. The thing that I think is so fascinating, Dan, from, from our perspective is, is being international fans is that Dan in the soccer world, they are, the em- they are the evil empire in terms of yeah. not evil. I would maybe that's they're sort too of, far, but they're they're definitely not the underdog, right? Like they're definitely the heel to pretty much every other team, and the team everybody loves to hate. They're annoying, and, and when you annoy them, and when you try, when you 
pester them, they get annoyed. So it's fun to do it, and everybody keeps everybody keeps getting into this cycle of like I I enjoy slash was very sad when after Canada lost that Deadspin wrote ran an article that was basically like uh, um, Canada who tut tutted at Thailand uh, lost so get back to us when you have anything to celebrate Canada in a way that was totally cool and chill about it. <laughs> totally not uh totally not still upset weeks later about that thing that had happened yeah. um um but it, but it's so it, it's what i enjoy is that it goes both ways because it's like they they win everything so you would really like to see a you would really like to see a winner in this tournament that's not the states but in soccer but then outside of soccer you want them to succeed as well as you as as much as they can to to shut up non soccer uh doubters so it's kind of um it's an it's an interesting the it's two interesting levels uh for them uh, i got to see a little bit of the game today um i think that they uh i didn't i kind of had it was able to have it on at work and 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 so i caught a little bit of it once once things got tense i was very excited to you know wendy renard's goal um to to make it 2-1 was great um I thought the that the states played much better than they did um, against Spain, which was uh, a round of sixteen game that was that uh, came down to penalties and in which Spain uh, really looked like they could be like they could at least take to extra time. So you have that yeah. aspect of you have that aspect of oh well we want little Spain little Spain as though that's something that you can say in a, yeah. in a World Cup soccer context. We want a little Spain to take on a penalty kicks, and then they just got and and, uh, uh, and they it, the the big team just scraped through, um, but they did. I think they played. They had a much more dominating performance here. Well, and it, um, I mean, it was yeah. This the Spain game was a little bit surprising that they they sort of gave up so much ground, but we saw the United States true to form to, today just with. The intensity at which they play makes them a very, very difficult side to beat. And I was a lot of people are talking about kind of a, diff, um, a disappointing performance from France. That outside of the uh, goal in the 80th minute, they really didn't take their chances. Um, the, the finishing in the final third was really not good, and they just looked flat for much of this game. And you know, there's lots of different things that you can chalk that up to, especially when you're playing so many games over a short period of time. But just the fitness and the physicality of the United States team is like, you're, you are going to be dead in the water. And I think France is a little lucky to not have just completely lost this one in the first uh, 20 minutes, given how electric the United States has been. And you would certainly consider the United States, especially now, the favorite going through. I definitely think that's true because it's like the um, the quote again out of the, the endlessly uh, quotable Megan Rapinoe was that she said, uh, "I I hope that it's a shit so a shit show sh- uh, circus." <laughs> she said she wanted. Which I'm to not even a- quite sure what that means, but I was like, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and, and it was a little like you know, especially going into you know after that second goal, it's just like this is going to be something that's much less 
competitive. I didn't really expect to go from that into something where where the U.S. are are doing the full press and and Renard in, in France have to find a way, sort of around it uh, after the second Rapino goal in the 65th minute. But and it wasn't it wasn't a run and gun, you know, uh, shot response, shot response, shot response sort of deal. It was kind of more of a. A uh, 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 France was able to to find their way into the tempo, and 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 get something. But but you're right, like never really was able to and to make it seem as though they were actually going to be able to to beat the states. Yeah, and I mean it's not necessarily the that the wrong approach to take with the United States. So, I mean, regardless of what what team you are, you're going to have to absorb some pressure for large periods of times playing against them. But. Um, yeah, I think as much as you can say is it was good of France to get themselves into it, but you can't take 60 minutes to find your way into a game with the United States because they're going to hit you hard. And again, I, I still think they got off a little lucky here that they were within um, leveling distance towards the end, but just kind of too little too late. Um, the other match, of course, we, we really need to highlight is... Um, in the, the round of 16, our dear beloved Canada uh, could not quite do it and couldn't get it done against Sweden. And it's been, a, it's been a couple of days, so people have had a little bit of time to process this. Of course, there's the much-talked-about penalty and who took it and who didn't, but for you, wh- where, where do you feel now, having had a little bit of time to, to think about it and process it? What's your overall just... Where do you put? Where do you file this away for the Canadian women's national team? I was really bummed by this uh, game because I I think that that the projections that we talked about before the tournament were the quarterfinals. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you made it to the quarterfinal, you made it as far as you did last time. Um, and I wanted to have that sort of belief behind it, and I wanted to believe as well that there was a possibility that Canada could win the tournament. But they had been so tentative, yeah. Um, in in their early games, and I think that that is 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 something that will be the hallmark of this particular tournament uh, for the for the Canadian women's team is that they were so they they rode through those two games first two games so buckled in, and then when mm-hmm. it, it came to to play against a team that you really needed to come up with something offensively. Where you where you had to be great to be able to to score and, and to win, um, they weren't able to do that against the Netherlands, and they weren't able to do it against Sweden. Um, the final the final seven minutes of extra time, but really everything after that penalty, the 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 penalty is a strange beast because it's kind of like it's one of those things where if it goes differently we never talk about or think about it again <laughs> like yeah. like or we're, 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 we're thinking again about it again but my thought when i saw becky walk up there to take it was um you know the game so much of the framing of the game i had watched that day the tsn documentary about uh about her upbringing in the states and the fact that she wanted to do it for her dad and stuff like that and and, and i think in general as we continue to wait for the development of jordan Heidema. Like Becky's the next one, yeah. in terms of being the, the the focal point of the of Canadians of Canada's attack. So I thought of it 
in the moment as she was waved on as this is an interesting thing that that happened. They wanted to, they want Becky to be that player that is the center of the attack and they have the trust, they have the trust in her. So they're taking the trust in her to take this penalty. Yeah. Then it's saved. Um, it's a, it's a great save from Hedvig Lingdahl, uh, who, who dives to, uh, uh, who dives to her right, um, to, to catch it and, and punch it away. The, a lot of people are focused on Sinclair. I, I wrote a, I wrote a piece about it, how Sinclair's mindset, you know, the, the first thing is like, how come the coach didn't let Sinclair take the penalty? And then after the game, you find out, oh, well, the coach didn't, the players decided who took the penalty. Mm-hmm. And then Becky uh, gives this interview to TSN and she says, well, Sinclair told me to, t- to take the penalty. Mm-hmm. And then you hear from Sinclair and it's like that, the, the, the veil draws off of it. And, and you find that for her, it was a very clear decision is that in March, I think, or May, they were playing in the Algarve Cup, and they had a a, a penalty. Um, they in the third place game, they had a penalty shootout, and six Canadian t- uh, takers shot, and Sinclair was the only one that didn't uh, beat the same goalkeeper. So she thought, um, "I got, I should find somebody else." And, and Becky is great. Becky, do you want to take it? Becky was Ginny. Becky was fearless, and she said yes. Uh, it was. It was. While we are in this Christine Sinclair discourse about her record, about her role, about her transition, what she means to the country and to soccer fans, mm-hmm. to her, it was just, I'm not the best person to take this. You are. Go for it. You have it saved. Well, did you shoot it where you meant to take it? Yes. What can you do? Move on. But to everybody else, there's so much more riding on it. The World Cup is riding on it. The idea that this could be the the 183rd goal is riding on it. But to Sinclair, it's very simple in that moment. And I agree. And I think that it, not just as a, like, it's a, obviously it's a nice story. And I love a good story. And I love some good sportsmanship and uh, camaraderie. However, um, I think that People are people need to remember that Sinclair is the captain for a reason. It ultimately is and was her call, and there's a reason why we don't get to decide who takes penalties. And the other the <laughs> thing that people don't really remember or talk about is yes, people have mentioned the other penalty in the other game that was uh, of Sinclair's that that missed, but um, again, we don't. Um, we don't hypothesize about what would happen if Sinclair had taken the penalty and missed. So, uh, I just, I mean, of course, we're soccer pundits, we have to talk about the what-ifs, but I I always feel like it is such a a sort of fruitless exercise to be like, well, Sinclair should have taken it. Well, she didn't. And if she had, (laughs) there's no saying it would have gone in. Becky took a very good penalty and it is time for Team Canada to look beyond just riding on the back of Christine Sinclair. And I think they've been doing that for a couple of years now, about that transition. And there's going to be some rough things that happen. Um, 
there's this idea sometimes when watching sports, and I think it's especially with big tournaments like this, where you have a lot of people who don't necessarily watch a lot of the sport, who all of a sudden have a very strong opinion. And they're just going off of what they're hearing and what they're seeing. But um, right. there's, yeah, and, like, so I'm not saying, no, I'm saying I agree, but also I'm like, it doesn't even matter what you or I think. It's up to Christine Sinclair and it's up to the team to decide. And therefore, I think whatever call they make is the right decision, so long as it's not a glaringly, obviously, obvious bad one, which I don't think this was. It's just unfortunate. But like you said, it's also a very good save. So anybody could have taken that penalty and it could have been saved. The, the things, the, the only argument that I could have in, in, in favor of the idea that, like, she really should have done it is that, that Sinclair has taken this, this step back to allow people to try and, and, and jump in. But, but the people that are there can't take care, take, take control of games the way that she could, the way she can. Do we know that she still can or can't do that? And if she has the ability to do that, should she maybe in, in this situation. But I'd argue be... based on Becky's performance, especially in this World Cup, she can. Becky has been a difference maker. Oh, I mean Sinclair. Oh, oh, I see, I see, I see. Ah, I see. If, if, if Sinclair can be the focal point. I know she doesn't want to be. I know that there is a great argument for her moving the focus onto other people. But in a situation like that, could you maybe argue that she should have? Hmm. You know, like like recognized her role as talisman is in her ability to motivate people, for sure, um, for sure. And I think that's the thing where people are like, "But she's the captain, and she should have shown up for her team." But the other side of it is that still would have only gotten them a draw, which would would have meant extra time and possibly penalties again. And so for me, the the real thing here is like, um, I think Sweden, based off of the 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 ninety minutes of play we saw, was always going to win this game. And I think they would yeah. have won. I think the other thing that we're not talking about is had it gone to extra time or had it gone to penalties. I think Sweden's it would be the same result. So there's yeah. only so much utility in saying, well, what if? Because it's not like Canada ran this game or had a ton of chances. And this isn't a um, this isn't even a missed chance in open play. We're talking about a penalty, which really. You're flipping a coin either way. The best penalty takers in the world miss penalties. And, yeah. you know, if Messi had taken this and missed the shot, are we having the same conversation? Of course we're not. Or, or maybe we are, and we're saying, well, he should have let Suarez or somebody else stay. Like, it just, when it comes down to something so uh, up to chance as penalties, I, I really find it hard to feel too, too disappointed by the result, especially if the penalty's taken well. It would be different if she skied it over the bar, but she didn't. Yeah, the the you know now that I've I've, I've I've presented this potential argument, but like I mean the thing is is that the it's impossible for you to watch that game and to think that that Canada would have deserved to win. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Un, un, unfortunately, because um, like where that comes in, like if you if you look at like when like what is happening around that penalty. Um, Canada had attempted to make a couple substitutions. Um, they, they brought in uh, Adriana Leon. They brought on, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Leon is before this. I don't know if Jade Revere comes on. I don't think she comes on until after the penalty. Um, but the, uh, they're making all these runs forward 
and they can't get anything on frame. Canada had set 11 shots, and two shots on target, and one of the shots on target was the penalty. They mm-hmm. had a, a bunch of really interesting runs, especially once Jade Revere came on, but they were unable to get anything working in the penalty area. And one reason for this is how good Sweden's defense was, because every time a cross was swung into the the area and Sinclair jumped up for it, there was a Sweden defender that was in front of her. They had a great they they recognized that path that path for Canada and cut Canada off at every opportunity to do so. Um, the and other that- thing. Sorry, I just yes. wanted to pause there for a second and say I think that in in terms of also discussing the future of the Canadian women's national team is also thinking about it's not just about uh, younger players coming up, it's also about a style of play. And they we've talked about some of the issues in their style of play that have improved, but one of them is still that they like to play this down the wings, crossing into the box style of play, which has really kind of been their only thing in their bag of tricks. And this to me was also evidence of really needing to diversify how they're winning games because you don't want just one way of winning a game because if a team figures you out like this um, and it sort of cut your legs off, then all of a sudden you're just, you're not getting the shots you need. You're not getting the chances you need to put the thing away. So for me, I'd like to see more attention paid to also Canada's style of play and playing a little bit more direct at times when your crosses are getting shut down again and again and again it's time to switch things up. Where are those penetrating midfield runs um, and runs ag- headed directly at the two center backs? Something that we've seen uh, Becky and we've seen Leon, we've seen other players utilize to great effect, or at least in generating chances. So this is the, this is where we come down to the penalty, where the penalty is uh, just a wild shot from Desiree Scott, who is a destroyer, who is a, a like a. a a defensive midfielder um, that is great and has been great for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and everything is so frustrating that at one point she just grabs the ball and like runs into the area and like corrobs off a shot, which I mean is not a bad, you know, if, when, when all else fails, you know, if you put up the ball on goal, something will happen. And in this case, it's that, the arm was out and it hit the it hit the arm and it was called for a, a handball. Yeah. But if you looked at the scoring chance, there's no way that the chance that you 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 saw a reasonable like chance of that that shot would go in, and like the whole movement didn't really have forethought. Like it was really just that was Canada's that was Canada's greatest scoring opportunity of the game is just. Take the ball into the area and see what happens. But I would say that that's not a that's not a bad move because it did result in something, right? Like it did. I, it did. I think it does have thought. And I mean, how many times have we screamed about certain MLS teams that we'll get to in a moment that just yeah. try and try and try the same thing? Where you go like, the sometimes sometimes that's what you need. You need your deep lying uh, defensive midfielder to make a run and just blast a ball into the box because. You know, it takes a weird deflection off a defender and goes in. It takes a deflection off the goalkeeper and goes out for a corner. Uh, comes off somebody's hand. Like, it, you've got way better chances at a certain point of just generating a little bit of chaos in the box rather than just continuing to send these looping crosses in from outside the area that are just getting headed away. Well, here's the issue then. Is that I know that they have crosses, and, and I think that what, 
what made me feel really like 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 ref like ratcheted up this feeling of tension before and after the penalty is that they kept doing these runs and it wasn't even necessarily the crosses. It's that they they do the runs to the side mm-hmm. and either they're 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 passing out to people who aren't there or they try to take a shot and it just goes wide into the sky. Like you think of you, in your mind, you may remember it right now as a cross, like many of them as crosses and some of them yeah. were, but some of them were like shots taken in front of the goal that, that ended up nowhere mm-hmm. near the frame. And like part of it is because it was desperate and, and part of it because there weren't always strikers taking them or whatever. But like you had these, these runs where in your mind you could think something could come out of this and they just, they just didn't have, yeah, like not the, even the, the cross product, comes off, but, but the finish isn't there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and and that was so frustrating and hard. And 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 I think that the my, the title of my piece was uh, "We're Not Ready for Sinclair to Leave." And one of them, one of the 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 aspects of that is that we um, we're not ready to look at those pictures of her crying and think that that's the last time we see her at a women's World Cup. Yeah. Um, and one of the aspects is, is Claire Rustad said on TSN, we don't have strikers that can put the ball on frame. Mm-hmm. Yet. 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 <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. It's just, it's hard. I'm not, but, it's... and, but they're in the, they're in the wings, you know, like, uh, I don't know. I think that it's extremely unfortunate and I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm disappointed and to a certain degree too. Like I, obviously I know how you felt about it. So I wanted to make sure we had a. <laughs> we're, we're a bit of balance. Not that it's not a balanced, uh, fair critique, but just for the I'm sake just of sad. Uh, yeah, it's fair, right? But I, I, I still think there's a lot to be hopeful about, and the the, the things That's that true. need correcting are entirely correctable. And it's not like we're looking around going, "Oh God, who's gonna to play for Team Canada now?" Like the youth system is working, and we've got these players coming up. Um, and it, mean, I it might a- mean that next world cup um they're not re- quite ready yet either but in national games or national sports it's always the long game i i bought a box of chocolate bars and saw those pictures of sinclair crying and ate four of them so so i maybe, maybe <laughs> my emotions are are getting to me in my analysis yeah that's, uh, that's fair elsewhere <laughs> to, um but let me point out as as you talk about a team that's it's in that middle uh, World Cup sta- uh, sta- uh, stance. Japan lost to the Netherlands, mm-hmm. and I think that that's exactly where Japan is. Yeah, exactly where, and that's the thing, right? And, and in comparison, the Netherlands have brought up young players, and they've been steadily progressing and getting better and getting better, and they've got their star players as well. Japan is in this unique situation where they kind of have this age gap where they don't really have the, the, the players who are ready to take over the reins and um, really do what's needed. So uh, it's, you know, there's, there's good sides and bad sides to it. Um, and I think what we're seeing is the teams that do really well are either the United States because they've just established themselves as the soccer dynasty and then ga- teams that have the balance of young and old players. Uh, England had a very successful game today against Norway where they just came in and completely dominated. And I think England's a perfect example of a team that has that balance of young, middle age, and older players 
all working together, and that means that I see some staying power with this team, that where England has gotten themselves, you imagine they're going to stay there for a while. And, you know, it, it Canada, we have such high regard for our, our women's national team, but they're, you know, they're allowed to not always get it right. I think it's been hard because we've seen them fall short mm-hmm. a number of times, but just because they fell a little bit shorter this time doesn't mean that um, it's time, it's crisis time by any stretch. No, no, absolutely not. Uh, like that England game, the, uh, the, I loved that it had the, uh, after the early goal, they ended up going up three, nothing. It had the most inconsequential penalty ever given. Uh, what I thought was a very soft push, uh, yeah. while England was up three, nothing. And then it saved anyways. It's like, yeah. so to tell me a penalty that, uh, that, that, that meant less. That was less deserved and meant less. And this happened after, I think, one of my favorite uh, games of the tournament so far, which was Norway-Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a game, it's like, if you thought of the round of 16, there are other games that you would think of as being more uh, candidates for being an absolute banger. Um, but I thought, well, these are two great teams. I haven't seen enough of either of them. I want to. Uh, I want to check this out, and this was a, a game that was hotly contested all the way through. Um, Thirty-one minutes in, it's a, uh, a a bouncing ball that jumps behind the defense, and, and Norway's attacker uh, runs onto it and fires it in. And so Norway gets the Norway gets the uh, the early the the first goal. And then you are into a, a protracted period where Australia is trying to get it back. And the thing that everybody talks about with Australia is um, is Saint Kerr because she's so great mm-hmm. and has had so many opportunities, uh, or and has and had a lot of goals this tournament. Um, but then I would I the one of the players that kept jumping out to me throughout the course of the game um, was Kellen Knight, who is the one who. Uh, eventually scores an Olympico uh, kick off goal directly from a corner kick mm-hmm. to make it 1-1. Just a phenomenal goal. Um, the So this is something where even if there's not sort of direct, you know, um, even if there wasn't like, you know, it wasn't 3-3, but there was, it was really tightly contested that uh, with two great goals from Isabel Horlovson and Elise Kellen's night, and then it goes into extra time, and the extra time is even more. Uh, <laughs> the extra time is even more frustrating. The uh, uh, before that, I can't know. I think in in regular time, uh, Norway gets called for a uh, a handball, but you know there's so much VAR that's happening in this tournament. In Maria uh, Thor's daughter. Uh, is able to successfully argue that it just hit her in the shoulder, which I think is fine. I think that should be applied in more places. It should apply yeah. lower down the arm. Um, the the uh, this extra time uh, includes uh, a player getting sent off. Alana Kennedy is sent off and has this amazing smirk like she's getting kicked out of a bar. Uh, <laughs> Sam Kerr gets. Sam Kerr gets more like, like, like you know, you get kicked out of a bar and you're like, yeah, yeah, you're kicking me out, really, really. Um, 
but she's kicked out nonetheless for, for Australia. Um, Sam Kerr looked more and more frustrated, and this is where I went off to a party and didn't see the end of the penalty shootout for four hours. <laughs> got back and saw that um, that Sam Kerr missed her missed her penalty bad. Yeah, like this is when you're talking about oh well, what did it, you know? At least uh, at least Becky's penalty was saved and didn't go right over the bar. That was the first thing that I was thinking of. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, unfortunate for them. There was there was a lot of promise there, and then it's always unfortunate too when the team that wins and goes through then just immediately gets knocked out and really had nothing in it. Um, but I think it was sort of a foregone conclusion given their opponents in the the U.S. anyway. But onwards we go. You know, it's it's been an interesting competition. I just my hope, main hope now is that. You know the the VAR decisions and the refereeing gets a little bit smoother, so that uh, we can talk about the football that's being played. Um, we'll see. We've got Italy versus Netherlands tomorrow, and then just after that, Germany versus Sweden to see who goes uh, through to the uh, the next round. So Germany's Germany's. Let, let me just run off some of these results in the round of sixteen. Germany's uh, uh, win against Nigeria was comprehensive and good. Um, the I was really impressed by Italy's win over China. Um, yeah, I really have. This has been a tournament where China has done great in past World Cups as well. But but you know I uh, I really both both teams have caught my attention. Mm-hmm. And it's Italy going forward in in this case. England Cameroon is this uh, is this game where people uh, England, Italy won two nothing. England Cameroon is this game where. Uh, a lot of people have their their arms up in air about you know this is a this is a scenario where England were the beneficiary of some some calls that people mm-hmm. wonder whether or not they were questionable, but also you could probably have sent off a bunch of Cameroon players mm-hmm. for tackles, um, and and people were up in arms about you know Cameroon players surrounding the referee or um, you know there's there is a, a goal that doesn't get reviewed. Yeah, there's a goal that doesn't get reviewed at the end of the first half, and Cameroon's players start to bunch like they're going to walk off, and then this happens again in the second half once they, um, once they score in the the goal is disallowed, and then there's also you know a bunch of other scenarios where people are like, oh this is bad, I can't believe what if my daughter saw this or whatever else, and again this goes to a point that we've talked about before, which is people are kind of. Being dumb is allowed, you know. Like, yeah. Like some some of these, sometimes it's hot headed or whatever. But I think that you there's this aspect where sometimes when people talk about women's soccer, where it's like, oh well, they don't dive like the men do, and it's like, well, I don't necessarily think that they should have to be held to a higher standard just just because that's a fun thing to mention. And you like, know what I mean? if if we're gonna simultaneously have arguments that the United States can celebrate their thirteenth goal against you know a minnow team in the World Cup, and I mean I'm not, I guess it sounds very disrespectful. I don't mean any disrespect to Thailand, but a team that really was they were not gonna win that game. Um, then the comment for like Cameroon being too physical or something like that is just like shut the fuck up. Like it's the World Cup. If it, I'm, I get one in. I get one in. I'm also keeping the timestamps, so it's easier to see them. But uh, 
I know when they're coming, but it's just like it's it's the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a bit of games gamesmanship. Um, I didn't think any of the tackles that were coming in for from Cameroon were straight reds. Uh, I think there was a couple that maybe should have been yellows, and there were a couple that were. So I think it evened out. And referees are trying to manage the game, like you said. It's people coming in who don't necessarily watch a ton of it, and um, or are just also trying to create a story around a match. And uh, yeah, was it a rough game for sure? Um, does Cameroon have every right to play a physical game to try to get themselves in it against a team that is technically better? Absolutely. It's their prerogative to try to win the game any way they can. And nobody was going in two-footed studs up breaking anybody's legs. So sit down. <laughs> um, Brazil was knocked out by France uh, in in a, what was also a great game. But uh, I didn't get to see live, which was which I was I very regretted because maybe maybe if I would have seen that, I would have liked it better than Australia and Norway. Um, but it was you have this first goal, you have this first attempt at a goal where France tries to head the ball out of the goalkeeper's hand. But you can't do that. You can't do that. That's not allowed. Um, the uh, but that same that same attacker Govan uh, ends up being the 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 goal scorer. Um, Brazil. For all the times people are complaining about VAR, there have been plenty, and especially in this game, of VAR rescues, where uh, where Brazil's goal here that ties it up um, is originally called offside, and VAR catches that in fact that it was fine, uh, but eventually it's Amadine Henry that that took France uh, through to the the quarterfinals in 106 minutes of extra time. Uh, after it, after it finished one one at full time, and then we get this speech from Marta where we talk about players like Sinclair that have been around for five World Cups. Marta gives this speech that pretty much sounds like a goodbye address, where she says, "You know, there's not going to be a, a Christiana forever. There's not going to be a Marta forever. The women's game depends on you to survive." So so she says, "Cry in the beginning so you can smile in the end." That really just seems like a you know, her valedictory address, I guess, for, for her, her closing I think it's a arguments bit of a, for I think her it's era a, of soccer. A bit of a rallying cry, too, though. Like, uh, in yeah. the same way of Sinclair's. I mean, she's trying to pass the torch and set her team up for success, and it's it's sad. I mean, it's really hard to imagine a, a Brazil team without Marta, because for most of our lifetimes, there hasn't been one. Mm-hmm. Um but, uh, you know, she's, she's doing the right thing and in, in trying to get some energy behind some of these young players as well. However, we got to talk about MLS because Let's it's back. Let's talk about MLS. Or it's uh, back. Now, we both kind of did the same thing in that because MLS came back while well, there was still a lot of international action going on, we're not going to talk a ton about those matches and we're going to focus sort of on... Things that were surprising, and as we've been doing a little bit lately, also trying to focus in on things that tell us something different about teams. Because even at this point in the season, there's still been an awful lot of games where there's a result, but there's really not too much you can say about it. I mean, we can give a minute-by-minute rundown of everything that happened, but ultimately, in terms of the, the story of where teams are at just past the halfway point, what is starting to emerge to tell us something different about these teams or cement what we already know. So if we're working backwards, um, well, first of all, I think a a game just finished. Um, New York Red Bulls beat Chicago 3-1. 
Um, the Red Bulls continue to find their stride and are doing just fine, it turns out. And we're 52 minutes into Colorado LAFC, and Colorado's up one nothing. Colorado, maybe maybe I should have been so hasty when you know when when Vancouver is, is Vancouver had these two games this week where they they go down two nothing and then come back to be two two. The first the first one is against Colorado, and you think oh they really should have done better against Colorado at home, huh? But you know here they are uh, here they are with with one up against LAFC. Who knows how that game will end? But um, this was a game where. They didn't. They get their Colorado got their first goal by by haunting the far post. Mm-hmm. I have in in my notes. Um, you have this this connection. The first thing that you sent me about this game was the uh, um, Carl Robinson. Yeah, having the dinner with of, a, him with Nico Mosquita and Kai Kamara having dinner. We're like, well, I guess we know where Robbo is. <laughs> hiding out in Richmond somewhere, I suppose. Yes. Um, and then this is a this is one where you know you have the two of them, uh, the the two of them collaborate on that second goal, uh, and almost get a third. But you rely on um, Ali Adnan to or Ali Adnan gets fouled and Montero scores on a penalty, and then. Jordi Reyna scores this amazing free kick that, that curves in near the far, at the near post. At this point, before that happens, I am standing, looking out the window because I'm like, man, I can't believe we're not going to win this game. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and then it happens. It all, it well, all, it, it all turns at out. At that point, I, w- I was standing looking at Jordi Reyna going, I can't believe we're not going to win this game. However... I will be a little bit more uh, generous towards Colorado is that given the fact that they had not lost in five games, in fact, I think they might have been on like a four-game winning streak up to this, Colorado was starting to, like the gears were starting to turn for them, and I knew that this was going to be a dangerous game for Vancouver. Um, the The big thing for me was like, I think um, even Mark Dos Santos said this at the end of the game, but like, the first 20 minutes were probably the worst 20 minutes the Whitecaps have played this year. It was just unreasonably disorganized for how much time they've had off, um, for knowing this opponent really well, for having granted some different players in the lineup, but there really was no reason to just look so utterly shaky and out of sorts. And this wasn't just defensive positioning. This was just not being aware of what was going on around them. Of course, that, that far post goal that went in, I also think, um, and this will tie in in the Dallas game as well, is Zach McMath has has just not been good enough. And I I hate to say that because I don't want to trash talk any goalkeeper, but I think he could have been much better on both of these goals. And he just looked really, really uncomfortable for the entire game. Um, He made some okay saves against Dallas, but again, I think at least on one of those goals, he's just, he has to get there. He chooses the wrong um, way to dive. And you got to think that, that goal, or sort of the second goal in Dallas is, uh, he's coming in and he, he looks like he's going to take it on the near post, and for some reason, McMath dies to, dives to the far post, and he just like, it's hard to say after the fact what a goalkeeper should should have done, but I, I think that this is, they're going to be really glad when Max Grippo is back from Gold Cup duty, because McMath has not taken his chance to be the 
um, or made any real arguments to get to get the number one spot. And right now, I think there there would have to be questions about him even starting the next game. Yeah, and I think that uh, I I I also have noticed that, and it was it was very sort of aware in in um, well, I mean, I don't know who who the third person is. That's not Kripo, but I think you've got to ride him until Kripo comes back. Um, the I know we talked about working backwards from Wednesday, but but the two ingredients that came into Wednesday for me, the Wednesday game against Dallas for me, um, were Vancouver's two two draw, and then also Dallas beating Toronto three nothing in their weekend and their Saturday game, mm-hmm. where I'm just I'm just looking at them. Also, didn't really match up that well, or Toronto didn't really match up well well in terms of players that were away on international duty. No. Um, I think that both of them were depleted, and in, in, in Toronto was depleted in a way that made it a very bad week to play Dallas. Um, the so when Dallas goes up two nothing, I'm like, wow, these guys are just rolling, huh? Because they have this period of just sweltering pressure against Vancouver. Yeah. Um, where they got two, but they could have had two more because there was like there was uh, like like a bunch of chances i think one was like a crossbar one um they you definitely could have looked at it they had like a period of 30 minutes where it was just all dallas all the time and you do have to give a little bit of credit to mcmath i guess for yeah. for weathering some of that yep. as well because it was absolute full <laughs> pressure um and a lot of people will mention that maybe that first goal was offside and bad um and this is something i put less on bar and more on the main official for this game, Silvio Petrescu, mm-hmm. who uh, who takes this this um, this first goal that I think you know it is different if if Dallas are if that goal is uh, is ruled offside. Eventually, uh, Reyna scores another wonderful goal to make it two one, and then in, out of time, late a game, we have Venuto scoring this this. Uh, this extra time goal, but it uh, to a lot of people, I don't know if it has an asterisk because Dominic Baji is sitting on the field waiting for the injury to be like, like with an injury saying, like, call out. And as players, you're not supposed to stop playing, you're supposed to play to the whistle now because the referee is supposed to call, yeah, call the play. And the other side of the other side of you're supposed to call the whistle is not your. You you know don't rely on this system, but also the referee is supposed to call right away. The referee is not supposed to wait for a play to end. Uh, that's true, but that's also primarily if it's a head injury. And for me, especially when the second phase of this attack starts, Badgie's sitting upright and he's just hunched over. Vancouver has absolutely no obligation to stop play here, and this has happened in other matches. It's happened in other matches with Vancouver, but uh, I've seen it happen with other teams and. If a team is in the attacking phase of play, they have absolutely no obligation to put the ball out just because a player is injured, especially when that player is just sitting hunched over. Because if I'm Vancouver, I'm looking at that and I'm going like, okay, well, he's not down on the ground clutching his head. He's decided that he's not going to get up and get back into the action here. We've got, we're, we're deep, deep, deep into stoppage time. You'd be insane to kick the ball out after that. Absolutely. So, and I, I don't think I. This is where I don't put it on Vancouver at all. 
I don't think it's Vancouver's fault for taking that goal at all. I blame the official for not whistling. But I, I would, I would be extremely aggrieved even if the the referee had whistled because there's no obvious sign that there's a danger to the player here, or that it's a serious injury. So, again, yes, you're right. It's it's up to the referee's discretion. But it, the referee looks at him. The referee is using his discretion. He sees that there's no immediate danger to Badgie. He doesn't have to whistle the play dead, especially because we're in the nine. We're at like 94 minutes and 30 seconds. We're actually over stoppage time. I think the referee calls this if you're not at that stage. But at that point, if you're pausing play, you're ending the game. And Vancouver is in possession in the attacking phase. So that referee is going to catch hell if he calls off the match just because a player has gone down with a cramp. Because you could also argue, like, maybe Badgie is just milking it. Um, it's, it's tricky for sure, but I'm, I'm always going to err on the side of the attacking team here if there's not a head injury. But the referee had a good look and decided to play on. I think this is absolutely a fair goal. Uh, maybe it was a little bit of like, hmm, maybe I should have taken a second look at that potentially offside goal that Dallas got in the first half. Um, but I think it's a totally fair play, and I don't, th- I, would, I don't think it's the referee's fault. I think the referee made the right call here. And it, it would suck, sure, if it had happened to Vancouver. But... Um, my argument is always like, if you want to prevent a goal that deep into stoppage time, then you get up on the one leg that's good and you try to get involved in the play and get your body in the way. If it's not a head injury and you're not in like serious pain, then you, you need to do something to help your team out. So I would say if there's anybody at fault here, it's Baji. That's fair. And it also made me very happy. So I don't know if I should <laughs> that, that much. But I, I that's... also... The thing, my main takeaway from this is what does it tell us about Vancouver? And my thing is they just got to stop doing this to themselves because I'm tired of always trying to find the bright side of things and say, okay, well, two times in a row, we came back against two good attacking teams, especially with Dallas um, from a 2 nothing deficit and Drew. Yes, it's a great road point against Dallas, but there's no reason why Vancouver has to keep doing this to themselves. And this is like how many games in a row now where they're just making it as hard as possible. And it's great when Reyna can pull out this amazing and somewhat fortuitous free kick to, to win late in the game or to tie late in the game. And it's great that Venuto could get on his bike and just run through the defenders and make it happen. But this to me is a major problem. Okay. If you're not winning, you don't want to be losing. And that's what the Whitecaps have been doing. They've not been losing, but I've got major concerns that they continue to put themselves, dig themselves this hole, and then have to climb their way out of it. And you can only say to the press conference so many times that it shows tremendous character for them to fight back. That may be true, but this is not going to get us above the playoff line, and it's certainly not going to win us any playoff games. No. It's just not enough. No, and in, in, in what I had is... is just like this frustrating this felt this this thought of like just frustrating uh lack of consistency yeah and another team that had that this week was toronto who had that affirmation three nothing loss to dallas and then i guess it all comes down to you know who the the personnel is on the particular week but um they are then able to hold off atlanta three two in what is a very fascinating game, um, but also, you know, that snaps what? Like a 10-game winless streak? 
Yeah, I mean, and for me, the thing that I'm trying to figure out in terms of a story is like, what does this tell about us? Tell us about Toronto, and not really a lot. My only note for this game is just what was this game? You what know, it, was it's, it? It's five goals and a, a missed penalty from Atlanta, but it just like it doesn't tell me a heck of a lot about Toronto, except that they give up a lot of goals, and it doesn't tell me a lot about Atlanta because they've been so inconsistent. So. I'm not surprised they scored, but I'm not surprised they lost the game. And for Toronto, coming off this 3-0 defeat to Dallas, it just looked... Granted, Dallas has finally pulled themselves back into form and has been doing great, and as you said, just have this insane pressure that they're putting on teams. They really ran this goal, but... uh, This game, but my question was just like, is Simon injured? Did he go back to France? What's going on? Nope, he played in both games... What a tremendously uh, just colossal waste of time and money this has turned out to be. And I don't blame Toronto for bringing him in. You would expect him to do better. But there's at least three goals between these two games where Simon is there um, just kind of watching um, and just seems very not not present for, for how good of a defender he is. I don't know what's going on there. And it's got to be mighty concerning for Toronto that one of their major signings just doesn't seem to be interested in soccer right now. We, we when he left L.A., we thought, how could he leave L.A.? Like, how could L.A. let him go? Um, but L.A. has improved a lot defensively this year. Mm-hmm. And maybe that, you know, uh, that played a role. My understanding is that it wasn't... I, off the top of my head, it seemed head, like I don't it was personal it reasons. I think wasn't it? I don't think it was voluntary. No, on LA's part, but I, at the same time, like, the... I, I think it was he. He wanted to be back closer to his family in France. He was that finding it too difficult to be away from his family. And I, I don't know if the case is the same again. I'm not. Uh, I just in terms of perf- on-field performance, um, you've got to think Greg Vanny is extremely frustrated that he's got his his starting supposedly league best center back. And he's just not showing up for his team um, because he's also got to be organizing the defense as well. Um, so, yes, Toronto wins this game against Atlanta, um, but they also gave up five goals in a week. And for a team that has defensively been so poor, and Greg Vanny said even before the Dallas game, they need to stop conceding goals. Um, this, to me, says that Toronto... I mean, short of bringing somebody in, which they don't really have much space to do that, uh, they're just going to have to ride this out. And that's got to be pretty concerning for Vanny because he's already got a bit of a patchwork team that he can't, at this point in the season, really make huge cosmetic changes to. (laughs) Um, I didn't see much. I saw, but uh, San Jose's 2-0 win win against Houston was impressive, but also just... Didn't didn't tell me a lot other than than you know San Jose being um, being very competent. Yeah, and and Baco being great. And also, we love to be wrong here. And was it only a month ago that we were saying you know there's just San, there's no hope for San Jose? And I think Almeida may have been listening, and <laughs> and they've just been dominant ever since. And now, this is where it gets so concerning for the Whitecaps fans is that if. I didn't even realize until I looked at the Western Conference table, there's a lot of teams at near the top that have kind of stayed there. But now you've got San Jose sitting sixth with 22 points. They're only two points behind Houston Dynamo. Like, they have just been on this 
this terror um, and creating this tremendous amount of pressure that was... It's funny, because in this game, you, you saw Houston has totally fallen off a cliff, and yet they used to be the team that was generating all this forward pressure and just running sure. over teams. And they also lost midweek 4 nothing to Portland. Now, granted, lots of personnel away, so that's a problem and for what, Houston. And what the Portland thing tells me as well, they, they did win against Montreal, but... Um, Brian Fernandez and the, the new guy Loria, yeah, that they have in mm-hmm. phenomenal. They have they have uh, in a way that you can't always predict or or know for sure is going to happen. They have improved midseason by bringing in um, outside players. Yeah, well, I think Lore- immediately... isn't Loria homegrown? Or maybe I'm wrong. I thought he was. A, I thought he was a new signing, but I could be wrong. Oh, maybe he is. Um, yeah, he. So he. Uh, they have brought these two. He was playing on his debut, and he's twenty-two. Um. Oh no, he's a Timbers two guy. I don't know why. I th- why is he only coming in now? But yeah, but yeah, he was making his. Oh right, okay, he's not the new signing. It's Fernandez. Um, Fernandez. I thought they made another one in, in addition to Fernandez, but this was. Gloria uh, scoring on his debut, which was great to see. But also, Fernandez is he's, has been in, he's the an real immediate deal. addition, and uh, like like has made the team so much better just by being there. A hundred percent. The only but to this is Montreal overtakes Portland uh, just the other day, two uh, one. Very good perform- performance from Montreal. Oconquo just uh, Oconquo, sorry, takes his chances. A li- kind of some sloppy stuff for, from Portland, um, and and not really at their levels. But this is the thing that I found really surprising. Uh, somebody tweeted this out, and I was like, "Okay, this is either hyperbole or you're just wrong." No, Portland is eleventh in the West. Now, if I just closed my eyes and you were like, "Nick, where's Portland?" I'd be like, "I don't know, like fourth or fifth, maybe sixth. 11th in the West, and now, granted, the bottom teams are all uh, within sort of four or five points of each other, but um, it just, uh, talk about a team that hasn't been consistent. As you mentioned, Fernandez has been such a a tremendous positive for them, Um, but Portland, especially against Eastern teams, really seems to struggle and has a lot of work to do to try to get themselves above the playoff line. Granted, uh, a win and a draw would do it at this point, but they're, they need to have, they just need to get this defensive shape right. There's just so many points where they're giving up really sloppy goals. That being said, the ridiculous goals from Okonkwo in this match, for me, kind of nullify anything that Portland had done wrong, because especially the first goal is just such a fantastic bit of skill that I, I really don't think anyone could have done anything about. But it's odd Mike, to think that Portland is down so far on the table. Absolutely. Like prominent Canadian women's national team fan uh, Shania Twain, if I recall, you were not <laughs> impressed much uh, by Wade Rooney's 70-yard 70, uh, 70 wonder goal for D.C. against Orlando. Yeah, I was very impressed by it. I, my main, my I have one note for this game is I don't think Wayne Rooney likes Orlando, um, because of course his the other famous play he made with that uh, forty yard sprint tackle and then forty yard return pass to find Ariola, 
last year, he decides to embarrass uh, Brian Rowe in this game, and uh, pretty much nothing else happens in this game. But <laughs> Orlando <laughs> just... made Orlando made the monkey paw. Orlando made the monkey's paw wish. It's like I want to be in more MLS Twitter gifs. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's like what else do you say? I mean, it's just absurd. Um and certainly uh DC is starting to sort of find their form again, but it really does seem to all run through Rooney still. Yeah, with this one it's a what's interesting to me as much as the the shot which was great is just the calculatingness of it all. Like, two two defenders in front of him are, are colliding, trying to clear the ball at the same time, and he just has the vision to know where Roe is and, and to, like, know they're going to mess this up and the ball's going to fall to me. Yeah, and he's... He just waits there. He's waiting for, there to, for them to mess it up. He's not even providing pressure. He's just sitting there. Yeah, and what I love, too, is he says, like, I was always going to shoot that ball. Like he's so uh, switched on that he's he's always ready for that kind of thing, which is perhaps why he's now done it for every single professional club he's played for. Really, I he's, feel like that's something I would love done, to see more stats. He's do, well, he's done it for Everton and Man United, so he's done it for three clubs. But I think he was right. with ever he was with Everton's youth club, and then he joined Man United. So that's all three of his professional clubs. In the way that you hear about uh, teams' buzzer readers, I want more stats on. A halfway line goals. This was the Cowie Leonard uh, shot, I think, <laughs> of the week. Um, Elsewhere in the league, the, uh... not a ton to talk about, really. Um, certainly not things that change too much for us. Uh, Philadelphia and New England shared points. Um, I didn't get to see this one was the interesting corner too, goal because it, was... it wasn't even in the highlights, but... <laughs> Or they they just caught the tail end of the goal, but it was like it happened so quickly, uh, the cameras weren't ready for it. And then uh, New England ended up with an own goal, so. This one was interesting to me because it looks like New England is very deliberate about the the attacking plays that they're practicing, that they're they're introducing into their system. Like, Mm -hmm. you saw them move at a very deliberate tempo with the idea of, we are gonna move. We we are gonna play it up the pitch. This we this is the style we're going to use, and it only got them a point here. But it you know they they're clearly working on something here, and they were able to hold off Philadelphia, who has been looking great. So so this is this is an important step in New England getting better uh, post the after the appointment of Bruce Arena, and that corner was fun because it was just like. The in-swinger came, somehow was able to, like, go between the defenders and the goalpost to just, like, not be to where anyone it was, really, and then the attacker ran onto it. Yeah. And smashed it in at short range. Yeah. But what I like from Arena's approach is is really simple in that he's going to highlight the things that New England does well and get them to work on that and at least execute those moves correctly so that... Rather than try to fix every single problem right away, is just address what you can, which is that we know they can be good on set plays. We know the um, 
a player like Bunbury just needs to be given the chance to play openly and roam a little bit and play directly. And I feel like you see New England playing with a bit of confidence that, okay, they're not going to be the best in the East, but they do certain things well and they should focus on those and getting them right so that they could get away uh, with a point. Unfortunately, in this one, it was an own goal that led to uh, Philadelphia getting a point out of this. But overall, I thought it was a much better showing from New England, especially against the the leading team in the East. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the Chicago RSL definitely is one of those ones that I think of when you're like, this, one, this didn't show as much. No. Um, and Columbus sporting Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City gets the one nothing away win. Just a, just sort of a pressure versus the the pressure from Columbus versus the defense holding Amelia making saves until uh, until we get a chance. Yeah, yeah. I, I I sort of put here like, does this count as better from Columbus because they they held themselves in the match for a little bit, um, but there was still. They did have some good chances going forward. It's still not clinical enough, but um, again, a game that, as you say, really doesn't tell us too much about either teams. And then we've got Galaxy against Cincinnati and talk about confirming things that we knew. Um, LA gets two quick goals here from just a really sloppy, lifeless Cincinnati defense. Um, I think the first goal is quite good, and it's definitely... uh, uh, precise shot that is very difficult to save, but the second one I, d- I don't think there's a lot of excuses for. And now Cincinnati has 17 goals conceded across their last five games. Oh it, no! It's just, I mean, and I know Waston's away with a Gold Cup, but like it didn't really seem to make much difference when he was there. Um, this continues to be, I think, probably really the last remaining team for me in MLS where they have not yet come up with any answers. You know, Colorado's been able to find a way to win games. SKC's but found ways to win games. Um, you've got New England, um, Columbus to a certain degree. Chicago Fire's been able to turn things around. And Cincinnati's just seems without an idea. Um, and it's there's little moments, flashes here and there, but the lack of goals and the, the lack of defenders being switched on and defending as a team is just really, really disheartening from a team that has showed some early signs that they could be a really competitive team. Mm-hmm. The, it's, it's really, it, it's hard to look back and maybe it was because Portland was so weak heading into the season, but it's hard to look back on that, the, the early, like, you know, Cincinnati Portland game and be like, how do we get here now where we are? Yeah, and in a position, too, where they're carrying a lot of uh, player salaries. Like, again, I don't think there's much they can do unless they're moving players on. And as we've seen in MLS, that can be... Well, in some ways, I guess it can be easier in the summer window because the European window is open. But, I mean, it's not like they've got players that are in high demand, in the attack, in, at least in attacking players, because I don't even necessarily know if the right call is to try to ship Fernando Addy off the, the pay bill and move him on somewhere else uh, if you're not going to get a good price for him. And he mm. might be the the only player that is being able to hit the back of the net later into the season. So I 
kind of throw my hands up with this one where I just go, I mean, what do you say other than they need to be better in almost every single area of the park? Spencer Ritchie continues to make some good saves throughout the game, but that's not going to win you games. <laughs> no. Uh, Canada had, you know, after being a team where they get uh, the score ran up on them, have gotten the score up on them in past years, uh, were able to deliver a 7 nothing against Cuba in the Gold Cup. The, the men's team with uh, Jonathan David and Lucas Cavallini picking up hat-tricks. Um, but I didn't really see that. I was uh, I, I was occupied at the time, but that was a, a nice feeling to have. The weirder things that are happening right now in the Gold Cup included um, Haiti won their group uh, after beating Costa Rica, which shocked a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And then Curacao qualified over El Salvador and Honduras. Because Honduras yeah. was Honduras was already out, and they beat El Salvador for nothing. Yeah, and and Curacao was able to beat Honduras, so now Curacao is in the knockout stage. Oh, so good! I love it. I love a good storyline. Curacao, you can beat the U.S. Actually, Curacao probably can. <laughs> oh God! Oh, I'm I'm so ready for American soccer Twitter to to, to watch that match on Sunday. <laughs> uh, and then the other the other fun thing that took place is that uh, the Canadian Premier League um, spring season is about to end. There are uh, there are three more games left scheduled on um, Canada Day uh, after being winless or after being uh, sorry undefeated uh, through much of the early season. Um, Forge FC finally took a win off of Calvar- uh, Calvary, mm-hmm. um, but then Forge lost away at Edmonton. Who couldn't beat? Uh, who was down at the bottom of the table, and they couldn't beat uh, the 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 bottom place team at home. So so everybody's beating everybody down there. Um, but Calvary was then able to come back and beat York Nine to to clinch the spring season's title. They will be one of the two teams to play in the championship game later this year. Um, I think that maybe this is a great time to reset. If you think of some of the MLS teams like Portland that would really benefit from just sort of like, <laughs> you know, like a practice yeah. round yeah. for this year, uh, it's not that much. When you think about it, it's like the first, I think that everybody wasn't sure what to make of the fact that the first, the first set of games was shorter, mm-hmm. but 10 versus 18 is not so bad. Yeah. Um, and I think when you had a, when you had a, a team like York that was so low and, and a team like Cavalry that was so high, and you only have so many games that, you know, clearing the table is kind of a nice way to do it. And and in Cavalry are very deserving in their position. Um, I don't know why you still have for the CONCACAF League, which is essentially the play-in tournament for the Champions League, that for Canada's second spot, the champion, second opportunity to have a Champions League team. Um, it went to... One of you know Forge and Forge and Cavalry are the two teams that are in the title hunt at the end, and Cavalry wins, but Forge still gets the spot in Concacaf League because they were one of the founder teams, and that was how they decided that they were going to be doing that in the spring season. And you know what? They had to wait till now anyway. Why didn't you just pick the spring champion? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm. I can't really make heads or tails of this kind of thing. Um, it'll also be interesting to see too now with the Canadian Championship coming up in um, July how things start to shake out with 
teams having to do double duty as well and see what the depth of rosters looks like. Yep. Um, so that I'll, that will be fun to watch when it happens. Um, I caught a little bit of Halifax beating Valor 2 nothing, but I, I literally got in there after the goals. So it was just nice to see that everything's still great in the Everything is still cooking in the kitchen. Yeah. Now, I kind of just jumping back to the Gold Cup for a second. I'm kind of interested to know how you think uh, things will potentially shake out here. Now, uh, we've got Canada facing Haiti tomorrow. I would like to think that that's a, a pretty open and shut case for Canada. Uh, they've been good in this tournament so far, so that says to me that they've got a good shout, but it's the Gold Cup and anything can happen. Do you think that this, this one's a, a foregone conclusion, or does Haiti have a chance? Well, they beat Costa Rica, so I would never I would never rule them out. Um, I think that they've been able to get wins. The group was not the hardest group. I'm not yeah. surprised that they qualified, but I'm surprised that they were they qualified for the knockout stage as group winners. I have to admit that with the Gold Cup, like I said, it kind of at the at the outset of the show, a little bit I'm like Donald Glover in the community gift where he comes in carrying the pizzas and everything is on fire. Yeah. Where it's like I I understand a little bit less uh how this came to be, uh, but I understand how wild it is. That this is this is the, the world we have yet. So so really I'm just strapped in to see like, you know, the to see what happens. I think that the one thing that I could say about Haiti, comparing when you when you talk about a team that doesn't have a lot of reputation behind it in the World Cup, or, or, or a reputation behind it comparing to some of these games in the World Cup, it's like the one difference that Canada had going into its game against the Netherlands is that they just didn't have that energy. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a lot of momentum, and they, they you know... If you looked at it and you thought, oh, well, maybe they beat Sweden and then they go on to play Germany. Are they going to win that? No. Um, well, not, not no, but like, like that's not what you would have predicted. And certainly they didn't win the game against Sweden. So I would think that Haiti represents a team that you could really underestimate. Mm. However, I think that Canada are also in have positive momentum. Yeah. If Canada didn't if, if Canada had negative momentum, if there was any, you know, thought that they had underperformed in their group stage, um I would really worry about them going to play Haiti. Mm-hmm. Um in with how Haiti has looked in this tournament. But you will you will now get a a, a team that's massively punching above its weight versus um a team that has you know been uh a, a stepping stone sometimes in in this tournament for for other sides that are you know on the on the move up, but at this point are full guns uh, full guns blazing. So, so yeah, I think you're going to see an entertaining game. Yeah, I think with the likes of uh, with David and Cavallini, you know, seeming to be in form, it's it, it, you have to feel like there's goals in this one for Canada at least that. Um, mm-hmm. situations where they've they've struggled to to find the net is hopefully not going to be the case here. Mexico versus Costa Rica. I think uh, I think if, uh, if especially if initial results have anything to say, I think Mexico's probably 
got a, a way to win that one. Jamaica Panama for me is a, is one that could go either way. I was impressed that Jamaica made it here because they've been a team that's been up and down, and you you never quite know what you're going to get with them. Um, but has it had an okay tournament so far? As has Panama. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to watch more of these. I feel I feel like the internet with the like it was almost like a fugue state where I watched the the Haiti Costa Rica one while I was writing the Christine Sinclair column where I'm like. Wow, this is happening, huh? <laughs> we've got, we've got, we've. There's so much. There's so much happening right now. Now, where do I get a Curacao jersey? Is my question. Um, can you buy it from the people that make the liquor? No, that's <laughs> probably not the not. same. That's not I, the yeah, same. That's that's de- um, that's definitely different. Uh, we had the uh, the one of the little fun things was the the. I haven't been we we've got a pretty strongly anti all-star game take here uh, <laughs> at that so MLS to the point where I I put together all my notes for this episode and I'm like, oh right, they announced the lineup for this darn thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, <laughs> how do we not be completely derisive about it? We didn't we didn't like well no, I I don't I don't plan on it. I think that I've always seen the the big note coming from from where we stand is that there's no Whitecaps uh, there's no Whitecaps players in the lineup, but I always see every time the voting uh, comes up, Whitecaps fans saying vote for any player but the Whitecaps so that no Whitecaps players have to go and play in this game and risk injury. So yeah. that that the the campaign was a success. The 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 the, the don't send anyone campaign was an absolute unqualified success in my mind. I'm looking up the uh, uh, who was in it. I think that it was very it was very LAFC Atlanta based. Mm-hmm. I think is that, that Yeah. There was a couple yeah. of surprises. Even as we were talking about it, I got distracted by another news story and clicked on something else. <laughs> It's like the, it's, that says all we need to know about where Nick is at with the All Star game. It's the ignoring machine where it's like I think that if you are watching right now, the one of the most exciting teams to watch at this point is Philadelphia because Philadelphia is not a team that anybody rated coming into the season. They're playing exciting soccer. They're scoring goals. Mm-hmm. They're uh, they're very interesting. And the only player that they have here is Andre Blake. The goalkeeper. Yeah, he is an all-star and deserves to be there, but... But we've seen this in the past, too, which is, I think, partially also our reason for not really paying attention to it, is it's not even necessarily, like... It, it really is the stars of MLS, not necessarily who is a more consistent or better player. Now, in terms of the forwards, uh, it's pretty hard to argue that um, Ibrahimovic, Joseph Martinez, Wayne Rooney, and Carlos Vela, with Chris Wondolowski rounding them out, is not the best group of strikers. However, it's not really the most interesting group of strikers, and I certainly think there's uh, there's strikers that maybe deserve to be there that aren't. Um, but it, it is a very uh, Galaxy, LAFC, and Atlanta-heavy lineup. Yeah. I love that the, the, you see that there was the, um, the commissioner selections, which is famously how David Beckham got in the All-Star game in his first year, despite the fact that he hadn't played very well or at all or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, the 
the commissioner's picks are Nick Romano for goalkeeper and Paxton Pomacal uh, from Dallas. And which I actually think is a really good lineup, pick. Which is, this is what I mean, is that if you look at the lineup, and you, the lineup is Barco Chara, Dos Santos, Marco Anthony K, Nicholas Ladero, Maxi Morales, Pity Martinez, Nani Pozuelo, and Diego Rossi. It's like, I feel that you make the pick of Paxton Pomacal, who definitely deserves it and should be there, because you're like, guys, we got to get a non-star in here. We got or like like a non-celebrity. We have yeah. to. We have to. Some of the people that are playing in this game have to be players that are playing well in MLS, right? Not that the other players aren't, but I mean, like, no, of course. Like I'm saying, I'm not. I'm not arguing that Nani or Vela shouldn't be there. It's just that it, it sort of still speaks to the fact that why we don't need an all-star game is because we're still locked in this idea that it's something that generates buzz about the league, um, mm-hmm. which. Okay, sure, you can always be growing, but it certainly, for me, still feels like something that M- MLS fans, even if you're a fan of Atlanta or um, LAFC or LA Galaxy, it's like it's just taking your best players and put it in, and needlessly risking injury or having them out of action for uh, a game. So it just, yeah, it is what it is. It's happening. They're playing. Who are they playing? They're playing some European club, aren't they? I don't even... Uh, well, they're playing Spain? Arsenal, aren't they? Uh, no, they're playing Atletico Madrid. Oh, okay. Well. They're playing a different A team. Um, in, in the take last year with Juventus, and I think, you know, Madrid is, Atletico Madrid is fine as a team, but the point last year was that it was more interesting to watch the stars of MLS interact and, and, and have, you know, an interesting time. It was. You know, it really struck me as like um, th- when I in Victoria when I was a kid, they used to have uh, like all star games with like the local hockey team, the Vancouver Cougars at the time, and like the Van or the Victoria Police. And the all star game to yes. me has kind of become that where it's really like they're just sort of out there having fun and like trying some different things. Like it's not a competitive game of soccer, really. Now, of course, there's been controversy around certain tackles and things like that and maybe it being too competitive competitive at points but i think for the most part like carlos vela is not going to go into this match and risk anything one it's not necessary but if you're going to do it it should be mls versus mls still 100 percent agree make it east versus west well, while we're while we're compiling our East versus West rosters, where can we find you online? You can find me online on Instagram and Twitter at that's so MLS. Uh, very fortuitously, filming certain free kicks by a certain Jordi Reyna. And <laughs> uh, where can we find you online? You can find me online at Team Bates on Twitter, www.team-bates.com, slash Little Rubber Pellets, where you can find my recent article about Christine Sinclair. I am an editor at Howler Magazine, whatahowler.com. And you can find this podcast at thatsongmolest.com. Uh, and Apple Podcasts, wherever you find great podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. Finally, it'll probably be the last two. Until the next time, uh, don't get sent off, but if you do, smirk like you're getting kicked out of the bar. <laughs> <laughs> at least she's not going to the fucking White House. <laughs>